0: To the Living Room room North. North. room room North. North. North podcast. I have the privilege of concluding this series that we've been in, as Des mentioned earlier, started in DMs. Now we're here, and if it's your first time, or maybe you haven't been able to hear any of these messages, I would just tell you, highly recommend. Going back and listening to the last few weeks, uh, we've had a lot of folks who've done an amazing job. Last week, Andy uh, Thompson, uh, well, two weeks ago, because we were at Woodstock City Search last week, but two weeks ago, Andy Thompson, one of our small group leaders, did a fantastic job. Of talking about this this idea that singleness um, even though it's kind of an eye roll really is a gift and so highly recommend you go into listening to those you can probably find the link um, on our Instagram page in our bio if not there uh, then just do a little not Google search hello iTunes search on the podcast for uh, the Living Room North they're all there so um, tonight uh, we're gonna talk about sex brown Brown chicken brown cow Um, and, uh, we're going to talk about, um, you know, uh, it's a sex talk, but it's, it's not what you think it is. It's, it's really not the birds and bees. Uh, we're, we're not, we're leaving biology out of it. So don't panic. There's not going to be some weird graphs or odd photos that make you feel extremely uncomfortable. All right. This is a version of a conversation that maybe for some of you in the room, maybe you had with your parents Uh, growing up. But here's what I know. I I think the vast majority of you uh, probably did not have a conversation or a multitude of chats about sex or the topic of sex. I know that I didn't, Um, In fact, my parents were divorced when I was seven, uh, just by the nature of kind of things going on in their life. They weren't super present uh, with me or my sister. And so um, it's funny, a lot of the memories that I do have uh, are around these odd conversations, one of which I was 14. I'm on the back deck of my grandparents' house where we lived I remember talking about like a girl and my mom who is from East Tennessee. I'm from East Tennessee. And uh, she just says, All right, well, as, as she could only say, she goes, Ugh. She smokes. Um, <laughs> okay, well, Ryan, this is kind of how she talks. Ryan, um, well, if you're going to have sex, just make sure you don't jump without a parachute. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, so translation. What she is talking about, what she referred to is don't have sex without protection, okay? And so when she said that, I was like, wow, mom, brilliant. You should give a TED Talk, you know, like, (laughs) uh, but that was, that was it. And, you know, maybe for, if you're like me, maybe you started kind of learning about the topic or the idea of sex from TV or movies or even better, like your middle school friends or your high school friends who all thought they knew it all, right? Right? Um, here's the thing though, I also bet that a lot of you in the room, uh, maybe the vast majority of you, if, if you didn't talk to your parents about it, um, you certainly maybe didn't even hear about it that, that much, uh, if you grew up in church, maybe for some of you, even maybe you heard about it at a church or, or your church, or maybe you went to a friend's church one time and really all you heard was like, Hey, don't do it. Right, it was like evil or untouchable, and you kind of maybe maybe you heard that it was dirty, and like a lot of people are just saying, hey, just 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 don't do it. And maybe you thought, oh well, wonder why are they saying this? And maybe even some of you, you might have even asked somebody. Maybe you again you asked your parent, why not? Or maybe you asked a small group leader or your youth pastor, and they were just like, uh, uh, just don't do it, don't do it, don't ask why, just don't have sex. All right. When it comes to the topic of sex, just like it's the exact opposite of Nike, just don't <laughs> do it. So here's the thing tonight, um, I'm going to kind of tell you the same thing. Uh, I'm going to tell you not to do it. I'm going to tell you to stop doing it, but I'm going to tell you actually more about why. And I hope to tell you why you shouldn't or why you should stop, hopefully in a way that is compelling and helpful. And I want to tell you from the start that this is, it's not like I'm an expert at talking about this, Um, but I will let you know, and you'll hear about this a little bit more, that unfortunately I have a pretty uh, regretful past as it relates to sex, as it relates to looking and viewing and getting into some, uh, some pretty shady spaces. As it relates to women and uh, images of women, and so um, I have no problem sharing that with you. Um, I, luckily, by the grace of God, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, I don't have any more sin or, sh- or excuse me, any shame or guilt over that. Some regret, for sure, um, but just know that, like, hey, I know that this is a, a weighty topic, and I want to take it serious and. Um, I'm really going to share some things that, one, I wish I would have known when I was around your age, and some things that I did come to find out that I hope is extremely helpful to you. Okay? All right. So here's the thing. Before we get any further, I want to be crystal clear about something, and that is sex is a great thing, it is awesome it's an incredible thing, and God doesn't hate sex. I've seen some billboards, I've heard some radical preaching about God hates it, and I'm just like, do you, where, where did you come from? You know, like, God doesn't hate sex. God designed sex. And I don't know your upbringing. I don't know what, if you even think about this at all, or that you even thought about the fact that it is God's idea. And here's the thing. I I, I think it's crazy to think about it, that at some point when God created it all, sex didn't exist. And then he created man and woman. And wow, what an epiphany of an idea. And I know God doesn't really like You know, operate this way, but I just, you know, I like the things that are funny sometimes, and so I just kind of imagine, like God, He's created a man and a woman, and then He like, oh my self, Um, I have the most brilliant idea. So sex is good. It's sex um, isn't itself isn't the problem. Sex itself is not the problem. In fact, your sexual desires, my sexual desires in and of themselves are not the problem. Here's what I have come to believe. Here's what I think the problem is. God designed sex, sin derailed it, and culture has been distorting it ever since. And it doesn't take much to convincing us or you to believe that we live in a hyper-sexualized culture. And I think today it's more hyper-sexualized than ever before. Not because sex is more popular today than like 50 years ago. Sex has always been awesome. Awesome. Right? I just think it's like it's always been popular but by hypersexualized I mean that we're living in a world where sex has never been more accessible and never been more acceptable outside of the confines of marriage. Sex seemingly has become becomes just so normalized. Waiting to have sex Uh, until you're married is like, some people think, oh gosh, that's like old-fashioned or outdated. That's kind of like what my grandparents did. Uh, Waiting to have sex, you know, until marriage is just unrealistic. Sex today just seems to be different. It seems to be more chill, i.e., you know, the whole Netflix and chill. Sex today seemingly is just way more casual, And I think there's a lot of reasons for this, technology being one. And now hear me say, like, there's a lot of incredible things about technology. You know that. But technology has played a massive role in perpetuating this problem of over-sexualizing sin, excuse me, over-sexualizing sex and distorting what sex really is. I mean, we see that in dating apps. Again, I'm not not poo-pooing on all dating apps. There's some that are okay, but come on, guys, there are a lot out there that's all about booty calls, it's all about hookup culture, and we haven't seen that much hookup culture before through those apps than ever before. Technology apps through Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, again, they're great, used in some fun and silly ways. I'm not saying, hey, delete all those apps. I'm just saying there are ways and versions of how people might leverage those apps and technology to over-sexualize and distort what sex really is. And I'm sure you would anticipate uh, that I'm going to talk about pornography, another way that technology is distorting um, what I feel like is how God designed it to be true and um randomly, I was in a conversation with a buddy of mine uh, not too long ago, and we hadn't connected in a while. he's like, hey, Ryan, what are you up to these days? And I'm telling him, well, I'm, I'm, really, I'm a part of this really cool thing called The Living Room. It's, it's for college-age adults. And he's like, okay, cool. Like, well, what, what, like, what are college students, like, what are they into? What are they struggling with? Whatever. And he's the one that brings up, like, oh, it's like, is porn, like, still an issue? And I'm like, is porn still an issue? Like, yes. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy right now. And um, so, in case you're one of those people who maybe have been just, I don't know, uh, living in a cave and not paying attention, um, I did some research, this is all, you can all fact check this, but I, I wanted to read you some things that is just crazy to me about the stats around pornography, okay? Um, first being, over one-third of all websites are pornographic. One-third of, of every site on the internet I'm the World Wide Web, as my mom would say. <laughs> Is that the interwebs? <laughs> One-third of that, all pornographic. The Huffington Post reported that porn websites get more monthly traffic, more monthly traffic, than the sites of Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. The porn industry's annual revenue, I couldn't believe this, but there's a couple of sources that say this. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. All of this is crazy. This next stat really hits home for me. Some of you know that Ellen and I have three boys who I dearly hope and pray that they don't make some of the decisions that I made around this. 11 years old. 11 years old is the average age a kid is introduced to pornography. 94% of kids will see porn before the age of 14. That's not become addicted to it. That's not take, and having a, a steady diet of pornography. That's, hey, somewhere along the line before 14, 94% of kids will see it in some shape, form, or fashion. And, uh, and knowing that we were going to be talking about this, uh, sometimes when pornography gets brought up, Um, a lot of people just kind of default to like, well, that's a guy issue. And maybe like me, sometimes when you've heard it talked about, maybe even in this church or other churches or other faith-based things, when the topic comes up, it's more so like, oh, that's something that, you know, guys struggle with. Ew, you know, gross. A couple years ago, I was in a conversation. I was interviewing this guy named Dr. Mike Seitzma. Um, he's been a psychologist um, and kind of a sexual therapist, uh, sex therapist, like forty years or so. And we're talking about sexual ethics and a number of things. And off camera, I'm like peppering him with all sorts of questions because he's like an encyclopedia of like all of this stuff. And so we're talking about how it's kind of running rampant, especially in males. And he's like, "Hey, what's crazy though is research-based stuff." He was—I don't even remember the sources, but he was like, "Hey." It's not just a guy thing. And so he was the one that told me that 33% of women under 25 search for porn at least once a month. And so here's what I know, that there are a number of people in this room who've looked at it, who might struggle with it, and I want to be crystal clear, I know, and you should be aware, it's not just a guy issue. It's also... A girl issue. Um, when I was in high school, I, I played baseball, and uh, we were in this tournament. We we're out of town, and um, a bunch of my teammates. They we, we needed sunglasses for this tournament, and uh, we had to go. We didn't have them, and so we went to this place. And I remember kind of seeing this one pair. I'm like, ooh, those look sweet, you know. And uh, they're gonna go great, you know, with my uni. And and so we we start taking. Them. I'm like, oh, these are sweet because they're they're Oakleys. And I remember buying the sunglasses because they looked legit, and I tried them on, and they were great. They fit great. They looked great. Um, But then I would find out uh, they were fake. Uh, They were Folklies. I don't know if you've ever seen that or heard of that. For real, like, they were fake Oakleys. And so in the long run, uh, they really did prove to be a cheap Uh, imitation. And as I think about this, as I think about um, how sex is over-sexualized, how I think about culture is distorting it for you and me. Culture is selling you and me on a cheap imitation of sex. That it looks good, it feels good, it seems harmless, it's all fun, no one gets hurt, it's just casual, it's just physical. But time will prove Stories will eventually prove, experiences will eventually prove that what culture is selling you and me is just a cheap imitation. And so tonight, I want us to camp out in a uh, a couple of verses to where the Apostle Paul is is addressing some of this, especially to this this church in Thessalonica. And you need to know that uh, the folks, the audience that he's speaking to, uh, the Roman Greco world at the time, was a very sexualized culture. And I think, again, we all know we're living in 2021. I would say it's the same now, overly sexualized. And so knowing some of your stories, and you're, you're trying to combat this stuff, and you're, you're trying to just figure it out on your own, and I know for some of you, you have placed your faith in Jesus, and so some of you in the room, a group of Jesus followers, you're doing your best to follow Jesus and honor each other in this sex-crazed, sex-distorting world. And I think there's hope found in these verses, and I also know that there's folks in the room who. Uh, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or you're, you're like, ah, I don't really believe in um, God or, or what God says in the Bible. And, and I would just say, hey, that's totally fine. You are more welcome here uh, than, than most. You're equally as welcome here as somebody else. And so maybe, even if you don't believe some of the stuff that we'll talk about, hey, maybe you might want to just try it on for size some of the things that we'll find in this text. And so here's the thing. What we're going to share was radically helpful in my life, Um, especially when I was your age, navigating the complexity of sex, and women, and lust, and all that, and I truly believe, ladies and gentlemen, that this honestly has the ability to radically transform your life, and how you view sex, and how you view the opposite sex, and all of that. So Paul writes in First Thessalonians 4, we're going to read this a couple of times, um, we're always going to put it on the screen. If you've got your Bible, open it up there. If you've got the Bible app, do that as well, but we're always going to put it up here. Paul writes, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans, pagans are, who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. And so here's the thing, I, w- I want to point out a few uh, major points from this text. He right, talks about avoiding sexual immorality. Again, I don't, I don't need to be long on helping you define what avoid is, you know, separate yourself from, refrain from, keeping away from. But sexual immorality, by the way, it's, it's kind of like this, this broad umbrella term. Any kind of sort of sexual sin. He's talking about way more than just the act of actually having sex. He's also talking about basically any sexual act. Oral sex, etc. And I believe if that Paul was here today, he would absolutely, most certainly also have in mind what our eyes take in. Pornography or any kind of sexual imagery that stimulates us. And as I have, again, I've sat with this text for a while. I came across this a little after, you know, college. And what has really been impressed on me that this text has helped me realize that the, that the goal isn't just virginity. The goal is purity. Now let me tease this out a little bit. When you and I hear, or maybe when you have heard, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, abstain from having sex, wait until marriage. Not only does that make many of you want to ignore it and maybe want to try it, but it also also emphasizes what I believe is the wrong goal. Virginity is about abstaining from the actual act of having sex. You knew that. That's great. You should do that. But in my opinion, that isn't the ultimate goal because it isn't enough. It's not enough anymore, especially today. In my opinion, virginity is not a helpful boundary, and there are a few reasons why. Hear me out. If virginity is the goal, it would be very easy to justify and excuse behavior as long as you don't go all the way. It keeps too many things in bounds. If virginity is the goal, then what's in bounds? Everything except sex? Getting as handsy and as gropey as you want, all of that is in, oral sex is in? And let's just be real, if everything except sex is in, it's not going to be long until you're having sex. That was part of my story. It's a slippery slope. It's a hard, just hard to stop. And so an emphasis on virginity underestimates the destructive power of other sexual sin and addictions like pornography and other sexual media. And I would argue not having sex just, it isn't, it's not enough anymore anymore. The world that we live in today, you can't not be having sex. Here's the thing, this is crazy. I wanna make sure I get this right. We live in a world today, you you couldn't be having sex, but also, you could be like, oh, I'm, I'm not having sex, I'm abstaining, because again, virginity is the key. But you could be potentially in a worse place than someone who actually is. Let me expound. You can be a virgin, and not paying attention to what you're letting your eyes see and still be destroying and distorting God's hope for you as it relates to sex. And when I specifically am talking about what your eyes are viewing and taking in, I'm really, again, referring to pornography. And unfortunately, with my own experience, me starting to look at it, especially when the Internet, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a little old, when the internet came online and it became way more accessible for myself and my friends, we started dabbling in it. And what I started to realize is that porn is a teacher, that porn teaches you that real bodies aren't good enough, that one body isn't good enough, and it gives you an unrealistic picture of what sex is. And when I started looking just at magazines when I was like five or six, again, I was over-sexualized when I was little. Then I would look at more magazines when I would kind of be like seven, eight, nine. Then I would be in the woods with other friends looking at stuff that we shouldn't be. Then the internet every now and again. I realized that porn is also a drug. It's a drug and it literally rewires pathways in your brain and the more you view it, the wider the pathway becomes and the wider the pathway becomes, the more that you need it. I remember reading an article not long ago in Time magazine where it talks about this continued consumption of porn and erotic images and how that material will make it more for a difficult, it make it more difficult for a person to get aroused especially when having sex with a real person. And so in this article, it kind of chronicles a guy who was like so heavily invested in porn and just growing up watching it all the time. And when it came to actually have sex with a real girl that he was attracted to, he couldn't get aroused. It's It's true. Look it up. Look at the research. Look at the science. Porn and erotic images will literally rewire our brains. And what in the moment seems like harmlessly trying to satisfy that desire you have, that it's not harmless at all. But in fact, as it relates to porn, I'm going to put something up here on the screen that I so desperately wish I would have heard when I really was right where you're at in life. It's something that I so desperately hope that my three sons hear, they grasp, and they lock on to. And that is, what's fake will deteriorate your desire for what's real. What's fake will deteriorate your desire for what's real. In my opinion, virginity isn't enough. Purity, though, I, I think is a little bit more holistic. Maybe it should be our goal. Purity challenges how you think about, cha- uh, how you think about sex. Purity, ch- purity changes how you think about sex. Purity compels us to take control of what we allow our eyes to see. It transforms our mindset as it relates to sex. Purity fights for God's best in our relationships and our sex life. I put down here, the fight for purity is ultimately what is going to protect you and me to experience God's best for our life and our sex life. So the goal, not just virginity. I think it's bigger than that. The goal is purity. Paul uh, goes on to um, expound a little bit more. Um, Again, I told you we're going to camp out here in a few verses, so let's go right back to it talked about there, hey, you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans, again, who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. This idea of controlling our body, having sexual control versus urges and desires and other kind of our, our sexual conduct. Holy and honorable, because a lot of you, you're kind of like, okay, I kind of get the self-control thing. But again, this idea of holy and honorable, it's it's, it's other-centered. So the idea of controlling our own sexual desires and conduct in a way that reflects God and gives honor or respect to both ourselves and to others. And one of the things when I was fooling around with girls, especially in high school and in college, and thinking like, ah, it's not a big deal, and when I actually would place my faith in God and it was still an issue, the reality is that I would kind of learn later is that you, you can't really reflect God if you're not honoring the other person. So he talks about no, not impassionate lust. We can't let lust drive us. We either let lust drive us or love drive us. We either let the distortion of sexual gratification drive us or we let the love of God and the love for others drive us. And so what Paul is basically saying out of this is let love, not lust, lead the way. If you don't hear anything else from this talk, let love, not lust, lead the way. Now this is a pretty profound, you know, sexual ethic in the New Testament. We hear it all the time about Jesus constantly kind of just compelling us to love the other, to love one another. And so we can't have a conversation without, or we can't have a conversation about sex without talking about the other person. One of the things that was super confusing to me when I was, again, uh, about 19, 21 years old, and I started kind of going and kind of being around church, and I would be like, okay, hold on a second. You said that God designed it, that God put like a sexual desire in me, so what's the problem? Like, you, you kind of bring up this lust thing, but I thought lust is the sexual desire help me understand that. And so I want to kind of give you a, uh, a little bit of a definition that hopefully will be helpful. It's, it, it was helpful to me about lust. Lust really is God-given sexual desire. He puts that in us. The key there is plus selfishness. The thing that actually makes that God-given sexual desire kind of get out of bounds is when we make it selfish, all about us, then that's when it makes it lust. Lust is a selfish expression of a God-given desire. I put it this way, lust is out to get, love is out to give. Lust is selfish, love is sacrificial. Lust harms the other, but love protects them. I wish I would have known some of this stuff. I I wish that some of you would know some of this stuff uh, as it relates to, to lust, Because lust basically says, I don't care about anyone else except getting what I want. There's a lot of that going on in relationships. Maybe even going on in relationships um, that you're a part of. Lust says, the only thing that matters is satisfying my desire. Hey, I want what isn't mine. Lust says, I'll do whatever it takes to get what I want. This means a few things. It means that not manipulating someone and pressuring them so that you could take advantage of them. Some of you have done that. Some of you have been victim of this. And I just want you to know it's not loving. It's totally taking advantage. This is putting your own lust, desires before someone else's well-being. And again, we're not naive, and we certainly don't, don't judge you for some of the things that, that happen and, and happen, you know, like in your life and a struggle you never really saw coming. Um, again, we, we just, we, we know we've kind of lived your life in some regard. Um, I would say, hey, if they're too drunk or too high, or they're not fully there, if they're too drunk to give you a yes or no, it, it's dishonoring. You might ask, hey, well, what if it's consensual, Ryan? What what if the sex is consensual? I feel like that's a great question. But this question also makes a false assumption that sex is just physical. Sex isn't just physical. It's not just casual. It's powerful. And I really want you to, if you're a note taker, this I feel like is like, dude, I, I, I needed this stuff. If it was just physical, then why is it called the walk of shame? If it was just physical, why do we why do we sometimes wait for someone special? If it was just physical, why is sex often some of of some of your story's greatest regrets? Regardless of your faith background, there's something in you, whether you, you, know, you like to believe it or not, whether you live it or not, that sex really is, and you might, not, you, know, you might know this, that it really is more than physical. There's more there. There's something bigger there. There's something more powerful there. There's something more, more precious and fragile there. There's a stronger connection that happens in sex. It's way bigger than physical. I pulled this from uh, um, a journal uh, that somebody gave me, and I, I, I love this and how he teases this out, that sex is actually three-dimensional. Um, this is something, again, that I, I, you know, for a number of years had no idea, but I love how this is explained. Sex being physical, it's your physical body, pleasure, arousal, hormones, sexual desires, all of that, you know, you probably know, but it's only part of it, but sex is actually physio- uh, phys- uh, psychological. I can't read. Feelings, fantasy, choosing, gentleness, caring, imagination, It's not just physical, it's also psychological because it's also spiritual. And this is the part of sex that touches your soul. The spiritual side of sex that basically says, hey, I'm going to be committed to the only person, this other person, the desire to be whole. It's love, it's surrender, it's values, it's complete vulnerability to the highest possible degree. And it's fearless of who you really are and being known. There's a seminary professor that one time, (laughs) I like how he said this. He said that sex is not about the big O of orgasm. It's about the big O of oneness. Orgasm, great, just physical, pretty quick. Oneness is the intimate mingling of souls. It's lasting. Science tells us the same thing. Science tells us that when you're having sex, your brain makes this chemical called oxytocin. Have you ever heard of this? I hadn't heard of this um, until recently, which is called the love drug. It's a powerful hormone that makes you feel things for someone. It creates this bond between you and someone else. It causes you to want to be with someone. It causes you to want to say something to someone that maybe you didn't even really believe. It's the thing that makes you say, I love you to somebody. You're like, I mean, do I really love them? I'm I'm not really sure. Oxytocin is greatly stimulated during sex, childbirth, and breastfeeding. And this is what's crazy, it's a bonding agent. And even science tells us there's something about it that bonds us together, that creates this oneness with another person. Sex is by way, a, uh, a way of saying, hey, I give myself to you and no one else. I will be there for you and no one else. I'm committing myself to you and to you alone to the day I die. Sex is amazing in that way, and it's powerful in that way. And misusing sex erodes that bond. some of you, and maybe you have some friends, have been having sex with people that you don't want that bond with. And misusing it can lead to more loneliness than ever. Consensual, I mean, yeah, it's great. Consent makes it legal. But it doesn't make it loving. Um, Last thing that I put in here, and some of it, again, it's just friends reflecting this back to me and a lot of movements that have helped me learn some certain things. But even for those and and for when we make clicks on certain images uh, on the Internet, when we click and pull up, you know, pornographic websites or things of that nature, clicking is just as dishonoring as physical participation with. You don't have to know them or be able to touch them to dishonor them. With every click on a pornographic website, we are funding an industry that is objectifying and harming women more and more every single day. So let love, not lust, control you. I want to end by um, hopefully providing uh, a few... Okay, so now what, like... I mean, what do I do with all this? How could this be helpful? And um, these are a few things that, again, that I, I've learned along the way that, that, I, that people taught me. And I, really, I, I know enough people that like they would say this was helpful to them. And so I hope this is helpful to you. So um, hopefully you'll find it practical and that you could do it. The first is set helpful boundaries. Um, giving you some ideas here. Uh, most of you have phones. Um, most of you have iPhones and not the dumpy Androids. Um, just kidding. Um, here's a couple things you could do. Uh, I had some friends who taught me that you could literally, you could set an alarm and you could set an alarm like, hey, I'm going to do this for every, you know, every hour or it's going to ping my watch every hour. And maybe that's just to remind you to say, all right, I want to, I want to just, hey, I want to pay attention to what I'm thinking about. I want to pay attention to what I'm looking at. Okay, I know that's, that's silly, but for some, it works. Maybe, again, it's you're like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set an alarm for a certain part at night where I know I'm the tempted to the most, and it's going to be, maybe my alarm is because I can kind of enter in the text, and it's going to be a certain scripture that will just help me go, oh, okay, yeah, okay, 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 all right. That's a boundary. Maybe it's, it's a physical boundary. Um, it, 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 it is baffling to me, and by the way, I did the same thing. It's baffling to me when there are individuals who are saying, hey, I am a Christian, or I'm trying to, you know, follow Jesus, and they know, like, yeah, I don't want to struggle with this stuff, and then they go on vacation with their boyfriend. Or, hey, I don't, I I don't want to get really sideways with this, with this stuff, you know, but, you know, uh, me and my girlfriend, sometimes we cuddle together in the same bed at 1 a.m., It's like, if I'm on a diet and somebody puts a key lime pie, like right here, I'm going to destroy it. The same thing is, hey, I would say, look, guys, like, with all due respect, if that's an area that you don't want to struggle in, try to put up a healthy boundary where you're not, again, hanging out by yourself at midnight. I have a mentor say, like, hey, sometimes in relationships, nothing really is good after midnight. And I'm like, uh, well, okay, I mean, <laughs> Waffle House runs, yes, but, but I get what he was saying. So maybe, they, again, it's a, it's a physical boundary. Maybe it's the relationships that you have. Sometimes when this topic comes up, people talk about accountability groups. Anybody you heard of accountability groups? Okay, um, some of those I think are trash. Uh, they don't work. Um, a lot of times, especially at least my experience with guys, they show up to an accountability group and they're like, did you look at porn? Yeah, me too. All right, see you, see you next week. Um, hey, did you do something with somebody else or even your own self? It's like, yeah, me too. Okay, well, all right. Good luck out there. Uh, I'm not dogging accountability groups but it's finding the right people the right relationships who you can be for real with who you could kind of back up the truck of like what you're struggling with and be like look I struggle with pornography. And I struggle with it at night. And I struggle with it when I'm by myself. I struggle with my, room, my roommates leave, I struggle with it when I'm out of town. And so I've had some friends to where they're like, hey man, I'm, you know, they're, they're married and they don't want to struggle with this. And they're like, hey, I'm at my weakest when I'm in a hotel on a business trip. Could you do me a favor? Could you call me every night? Because they're like, I want this boundary. And you and I, if you're trying to war against this, it's finding the right people who you can be honest and open with and be like, no, I need help and I need you to call me on it. I don't need you to be like, oh man, ah, sorry man, me too. No, it's like, hey, will you go to the ends of the earth to help this individual? Not get sideways with this. Some of your your healthy boundary is just like, break up with this guy. Break up with her. Because you might know that they're treating you just like an object. You might not know, or you might be feeling like, it seems like the only time that he wants to hold my hand or put his arm around me is when he wants to get some. I'm an object. Some of you, again, it's the object of their own selfish desire. And if that's the case and you know you've been thinking about it, maybe your boundary is to break up with that individual. Because you, over time, you're like, ah, I just don't trust myself anymore. We set boundaries, we, and then we set another one. We won't cross this line, but then we cross it, and then we got to draw another line. So maybe break up with that fool. It's a thing. Okay, set helpful boundaries. Second, decide what you ultimately want. Decide what you ultimately want. Think with the the long-term view. Hey, what story are you writing? What story do you want to tell to your future wife, your future husband, your future spouse? What story do you want to tell to your future children? I, I, at some point in my life, I'm going to sit across from my three children, Jackson Gray, Carter Gray, and Maddox Gray, and I'm going to have to tell them what daddy has done in the confines of closed doors, and parking lots, all because I want them not to do the same things that I've done. And I had that nowhere in my state of mind when I was thinking about that. So for me, it was like, hey, decide what I just want now, what I want today, what's immediately gratifying for me. And some of you are making decisions because you're like, well, I need to practice, I need to practice, I need to have sex because I don't want to get to marriage because if I don't practice, maybe I suck at it and it's going to be weird and whatever. That's B, that's just, that is bull. That was safe. That is, (laughs) it's not true. It's a lie. So you want a cheap imitation or the real thing? And something that I wish I would have known is Giving up something now for something better later isn't a sacrifice. It's an investment. And again, my story is that I started looking at porn, struggling with it, so were a lot of the guys around me at the time, and it started early. And I would learn through counseling that again, I was hypersexualized early, and it lit a match. And I, all, that's all I ever thought sex was was just getting what I could get from that female. And then I would think like, well, it's not going to really, it's harmless, right? I mean, everyone's doing it. And then, guess what? I would get married. I would get married to the most phenomenal woman on planet Earth who did not have the same story I did, who said, hey, virginity and purity was my goal. And I had to tell her, uh, I have done so much stuff with other women and I did not, I did not wait. And the most incredible thing is that she was gracious, which I'll get to in a second. But it definitely marked her and, and you know, she had to wrestle with that for a while. I would, I would have one night stands. I would hook up with girls I didn't even know who they were. Because again, what I thought, what, like, what I needed at the moment, it's like I just need to feel good. I just need to numb some type of pain. This is what culture is telling me. I just, I just need to do this. So I didn't have like, hey, the, the, like, what did I ultimately want? What do you ultimately want your life to really be about? What do you ultimately want to be able to reflect back on and say, hey, this is kind of how I navigated sex. This is how I navigated relationships. Decide what you ultimately want. The last thing is remember the grace of God. This was um, so huge for me and I'm not just saying this because we're in a church. It was true for my life as it has been true for so many others because when I had to back the truck up when Ellen and I were dating and then engaged, I knew it was going to come to a moment where I had to be like, oh gosh, I'm going to I'm have to tell her because I, I want to be fully known and and I want to know her, and we're going to have to have these conversations, you know? And I'm going to be like, all right, like, who did you make out with? You know, like, that's not how the conversation goes. But I wanted her to know all of me, and I had to tell her all, and I, and I did. And what she said, y'all, was, was one of the most memorable things for me of how God used her to be super gracious, and so I just thought, hey, after an, like an hour conversation in her old Subaru Outback, um, that she was going to be like, ooh, I don't, this is, this is way too much. I was like, okay, uh, well, there it is. And she was like, I love you more now than I had about an hour ago. And it's because you were so real and authentic and transparent with your stuff. And I just lead, need you to know, I, I forgive you. And what I personally believe, I, I believe that I, I really wouldn't be a follower of Jesus if I, if I didn't offer that grace to you. And I couldn't believe that. And so many times, men and women with my story have reflected that back to me. And so here's the thing, what she reminded me of, and what I want to remind you of, because some of you I know have similar stories, and some of you, that's your past. Some of you, this might even be your present, is that you're never too far gone, some of you have made decisions around sex, you made decisions around things you've looked at, and you are dying, you are literally drowning in a crazy amount of sin and shame and guilt because it's in hiding, and maybe you don't know what to do with it. And here's the thing, I wanna remind you of God's grace that you ever, you have never messed up too much. That you're in this deep and dark thing that you've dug your own, you know, guess what? God's hand is long enough big enough to carry you out of it. It's never too late. I used to think like, oh gosh, I can't ever like, I can't, I can't get ahead of this thing. Maybe it's my time is done. I don't, I don't know if I'm forgivable. No matter where you've been or what you've done, he literally is right by your side. With Jesus, I strongly believe this, it's never too late to start because he's in the business of making things new. With Jesus, any story can have a new beginning. And some of you, some of you might just be desperate for that. And so I, um, I want to pray for that here in a second. But um, as we end, one of the things that was unique when Ellen and I, you know, were married, and we're married a couple years, and then the talk of babies you know, come about, which we're not going to, I'm not going to tell you how that happens, but um, <laughs> we ended up getting blessed and had, a, had our first son, Jackson, who, again, is 11, but when he was younger, as, as good parents do, they're, they got these, this little thing, you know, kind of getting crazy, and you're like, well, geez, I don't want him to put a fork in an outlet, so we put little things to cover that, it's like, oh my gosh, he has no idea about these stairs that he could end his life if he's like, oh, um, <laughs> Like, we had to do all this stuff. We had to childproof. We had to protect him from the things that were dangerous, right? Because he, he just didn't know it. He, Jackson, when he was little, he didn't have the full picture. And what I know of you and what I know of me in this conversation, in this kind of context, that sometimes when the topic of sex, and you want to have it, but you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Why doesn't God want me to have it? It's so confusing, I feel like we're in the same boat because, like Jackson, we don't see what God sees. We don't know the full picture. God is putting these types of boundaries in place because he loves you. He knows that he has designed sex, and he knows he's designed you. And God isn't trying to restrict you. He's trying to protect you because he loves you.